0: Hello and welcome to Clinical Nutrition Notes, a podcast where we speak with guest experts and opinion leaders about the art and science of clinical nutrition. Brought to you by Nestle Health Science Canada. This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals for education purposes. I'm your host, Bethany Hopkins, Medical Affairs Manager with Nestle Health Science. Today we will continue our dysphagia management conversation with Julie Chiquiro, focusing on considerations with oral medication for the individual with dysphagia. Thank you for joining us, Julie. In our last conversation, we talked about use of thickened liquids in dysphagia management. Today, we're tackling the issue of oral medication administration for individuals who require thickened liquids. To begin, Julie, can you set the stage as to why there is such an interest in medication administration in individuals who have dysphagia? Uh,
1: Absolutely, Bethany. I think um, for a long time, we focused on liquids and foods and texture modified foods and thickened liquids without really thinking about medication administration it started probably to come into into the fore when you had people needing to swallow pills tablets and capsules uh, when they were on a pureed diet and whether or not they could take those particular tablets and then how you would administer a thin liquid to someone who might need it for a pre-med for an operation if they you know needing to go in after a a car accident, for example, and how you would do that if they were on thickened liquid. So it's become a, a growing area of interest.
0: Mm-hmm. And when we think about, you know, medications in general, you know, there's, medications are widely used to manage, uh, you know, many different medical conditions. And they're often oral, the oral route is is the most prevalent, isn't it? Exactly right. So Julie, when, when you think about the considerations around use of medications, and commercial thickener, so someone requires a thickened liquid, um, there are a number of factors that may come into play, from bioavailability to viscosity. And I'm just wondering if you can describe some of these considerations for our listeners.
1: It's a great question. It feels a little bit like Pandora's box, I'll be honest. Um, there are, in fact, a, a number of different things to think about, because Quite often, what people will do when individuals have trouble swallowing medications is they start looking at crushing them. Now there are some medications that you can crush, and there are some that you can't, so anything that's a delayed release medication is not safe to be crushed. But the other thing that I want to say is to please make sure that if you're looking at altering a medication that you do speak to the to a pharmacist about that if you um you're looking to do it to make sure that it's done safely. We've done some um, some work. I've been working with the School of Pharmacy where we looked at just four different types of medication and what happened when they were crushed and mixed with um, extremely thick liquids. And so over a range of, you know, different types of thickening agents, what we found was that the thicker it was, with a crushed medication, uh, the, the bioavailability, certainly at bench testing, was not fantastic. So we had some changes. For example, with, um, you know, warfarin, uh, which is commonly used to, as a blood thinner to treat medications. But if that tablet was crushed and, and administered in water as a bench test with simulated gastric fluid over 30 minutes, about 89% of it was a, was available for use when it was provided in an extremely thick liquid. You it went down to only 14%. So that's problematic. That is bench testing, though, and we obviously need testing to be done in vivo or with individuals. But it, and each of the different drugs that we looked at had a different reaction. So this is why I say it's like Pandora's box because there wasn't a okay. Well, you know, if we um, administer it with you know this level of thickness thick liquid or this type of thickener, we get this result. They were all quite different. The so the medications have. Uh, differences in ionic charge in a whole range of different things that just interact with the the different thickening agents.
0: And certain classes of medications, Julie, are more susceptible, are they not? The sort of soluble medications, are they the ones that people need to watch out for more? So the medications
1: are differentiated along their solubility and permeability lines. And to be honest, we, we haven't got to the, the bottom of, of that because they are literally all different. So if, yeah, we're really not 100% sure. What we do know, though, is that the thicker it is, the more challenging it is for a crushed medication to make its way out of the thickened liquid, regardless of the thickening agent. So administering on a thinner um, end, the thinner end, so the mildly thick and the moderately thick is better if you need to. But... I'm going to stress here that because it is a a new area, that it's really important to work with your pharmacist. And at times, you may, in fact, rather than mixing it with a thickened liquid, look to an alternative route. So whether it's a patch, whether it's a suppository, whether it's an injection, looking at what's going to be safest for the person to get the medication that they need in the safest way possible. And that may not be through the oral route.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which sort of was kind of leading into... Sort of the next area that I wanted to talk about was, you know, advice for clinicians who are interested in this topic and want to learn more and practical kind of tips and things to think about. So one, you know, you mentioned about looking at, you know, other alternative administration methods. What other comments would you have or suggestions would you have for people, Julie?
1: Um, I think also uh, just working, uh, again, working with the pharmacist, uh, it's an opportunity to look at medication reviews. So how many of the medications are actually essential for where they're at at that point in time? We found a lot of success in, in looking at it from that perspective. Also looking at talking to the, the doctors so anecdotally and I want to stress this anecdotally we found that with patients with epilepsy for example that if the epilim drug is added to, to thickened liquids that sometimes there's an adjustment where they need to increase the dose of their medication so again working really closely as part of a, a multidisciplinary team talking to neurologists talking to your epileptologist about any changes but uh that and the pharmacist, you know, are they needing to increase medication dosages? And, you know, if they are a patient who's on thick and liquids, you know, that we, we actually need some really good quality research around this. It's still very much in its early phases, you know, as I say. So the more we can talk to other disciplines, so the pharmacists, neurologists, you know, geriatricians. So you know, we haven't even delved into what impact is there on uh, medication for Alzheimer's dementia, for example. This is where I, I think um, we, we're going to see some really
0: exciting things in the future. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I think as you mentioned earlier on, when we first started looking at the role of texture modified diets, and and certainly thickeners were developed for use with foods and liquids, uh, dietary foods and liquids, not for use with medications. So there are, you know, so many layers of complexity or the Pandora's box, as you describe, uh, when we start to look at, you know, their application for delivering um, medications. I know one of the things that's received some attention in in Canada recently is the Institute for Safe Medicine Practice published a bulletin around the interaction with polyethylene glycol and and pre-thickened starch-based liquids where the product caused thinning of the liquid, so the viscosity was reduced. And I know it's created, you know, some concern for clinicians, and one of the, um, you know, the things people have, you know, taken a look at is evaluating, you know, is there an alternate um, route of administering that medication or something else that can be used instead to make it safe for people with dysphagia.
1: That's right, Bethany. So that's a, a really interesting one. That particular product, um, we have it here under a different name, is quite often used um, as a treatment for constipation. And so what you've got there is that the that particular drug is designed to pull water. That's the way that particular medication works it's because it's wanting to get off from the stool, for example. So when you add a thickening agent to it, your thickening agent has held the water together, if you like, and so the, the medication then is trying to pull the, the liquid out, which is why it's thinning. It's, you, you're probably ending up with a, a thin watery layer on top with something mm-hmm. you know, slightly thicker underneath. So you've got two things that are, in, in fact, they, they are working directly against each other for two different purposes. One that's trying to hold the bolus together, um, so that it's safe to swallow, and then the actual medication, what it's designed to do is is to you know release that, release the water to soften the stool. So that in those circumstances, I would say that you're trying to use a thickening agent and the oral route is probably not ideal if that's the case. and looking to alternative routes of you know how best to administer and to to treat that issue is the better way to manage it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, Julie, one, Last question I have, or I guess second last question is, you know, you mentioned working with pharmacists. You mentioned research that has to happen, you know, with with patients uh, in vivo research. Right now where you are today, where do you sort of, where do you see this field going? What should we be watching for? I think
1: we're starting to see, you mentioned a little bit earlier on as well about individualized care. And we're starting to, to see a real push for personalized medicine. And so I think, um, you know, for a while, one of the challenges that we've had with dysphagia is that it's a a medical orphan, for want of a better term. When you have a stroke, you'll go and see a stroke physician. If you've got, you know, a heart problem, you'll go and see a cardiologist. But for dysphagia, we don't have a single medical discipline that looks after it. We've got lots of different medical disciplines. and, And so we haven't had the ability, I guess, to really go after grant funding on the back of that because it is in so many different fields. So there's a potential, I guess, uh, you know, we've got our um, otolaryngologists or, you know, some throat surgeons here looking after the, the oral cavity and the and the pharynx and then our gastroenterologists looking after the esophagus and the stomach and the rest of the digestive tract. But if we can have a focus on dysphagia, which is you know sort of what we need, and I do wonder whether there might be that opportunity through personalised medicine to see some um, some further research coming coming out of that. So ideally, I, I guess our, our group and you know, there will be others around the world as well. We'll need to be looking at moving it from bench testing to other testing. Now, whether they're observational studies of people who are already on thickened liquids with one particular type of medicine, I'm not sure. I, I think there are lots of opportunities out there. But I think, you know, because as you mentioned earlier, medication has became become the mainstay of treatment, and we are all living longer. You know, the average person in the nursing home takes seven to eight medications every day. I think it's something that we can't afford to ignore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more, I mean, it's it really is a growing issue and one that more and more clinicians are beginning to take seriously and, and I guess think about because of some of the publications that we've seen in the last few years. So it will be interesting to see how this area evolves. So Julie, thank you for reviewing this important topic and the complexities that are involved around medication administration for people with dysphagia. So before we sign off, I would like to take a minute to ask you one last question so our listeners can get to know you a little more. Can you tell us how you first became interested in the field of nutrition, dysphagia?
1: Yeah, it's a funny story, actually, because when I first practiced as a speech pathologist, this idea of working in dysphagia, scared the daylights out of me. I remember our lecturer uh, talking about, you know, this is the one area where if you mess it up, the patient can die. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, there's no no way I want to work in that area. And it wasn't until I came to a clinical placement and recognised that people, you know, food is such an important part of your life. I come from a, my, my grandmother was Polish and we gathered around the table every night on a Sunday night and it, made, it reminded me of um, families come together around food and, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a christening, a wedding, a, a, you know, meal times. there's places where people come together and it is such an important part of life. So from the fear of, of the, um, in my lectures, of physically going and seeing patients and recognising that all they wanted to do was have their cup of tea or have something to eat, something that they really loved. And that, you know, that, that I had a role and that I had some knowledge to do that. I could sort of put the fear aside, if you like, and I guess that what, that's what has motivated me to really look into the area to make sure that I'm doing it as safely as possible and for their safety as well, so that they can, again, be part of this, you know, this richness that is such an integral part of our everyday life.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that story, and uh, it's interesting to see how it started out with this this fear. And I mean, it is scary when you think about the implications of of dysphagia and choking and so on. But really glad that you made that made that leap or or made that decision to explore this area in your professional practice. And food really is such an important part of our our lives and the social fabric. of of the world that we live within. So on that note, Julie, we will conclude this podcast and I'd like to thank you for joining us and thank all of our listeners. To listen to more podcasts or to subscribe to Clinical Nutrition Notes, visit our website at nestlehealthscience.ca.